Chapter 2 of Wilder's Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wilder's Hand by J. Sheridan Lafanu. Chapter 2 In Which I Enter the Drawing Room. I was now approaching Brandon Hall. Less than ten minutes more would set me down at its doorsteps. The stiff figure of Mrs. Marston, the old housekeeper, pale and austere in rustling black silk, she was accounted a miser, and estimated to have saved I dare not say how much money in the Wilder family, kind to me, with a bread and jam, and Naples biscuit kindness of her species, in old times, stood in fancy at the doorway. She too was a dream, and I dare say her money spent by this time, and that other dream to which she often led me, with the large hazel eyes, and clear delicate tints, so sweet, so riant, yet so sad, poor Lady Mary Brandon, dying there, so unhappily mated, a young mother, and her baby sleeping in long, broad anglaise attire, upon the pillow on the sofa, and whom she used to show me, with a peeping mystery, and her finger to her smiling lip, and a gaiety and fondness in her pretty face. That little, helpless, groping, wailing creature was now the Dorcas Brandon, the mistress of the grand old mansion, and all its surroundings, who was the heroine of the splendid matrimonial compromise, which was about to reconcile a feud, and avert a possible lawsuit and, for one generation at least, to tranquilize the troubled annals of the Brandons and Wilders. And now the ancient gray chapel, with its stained window and store of old Brandon and Wilder monuments, among its solemn clump of elm trees, flitted by on my right, and in a moment more we drew up at the great gate on the left, not a hundred yards removed from it, and with an eager recognition I gazed on the noble front of the old manorial house. Up the broad, straight avenue, with its solemn files of gigantic timber towering at the right and the left hand, the chase rolled smoothly, and through the fantastic iron gate of the courtyard, and with a fine swinging sweep and a jerk, we drew up handsomely before the doorsteps, with the wilder arms in bold and florid projection carved above it. The sun had just gone down, the blue shadows of twilight overcast the landscape, and the mists of night were already stealing like thin smoke among the trunks and roots of the trees. Through the stone mullions of the projecting window at the right, a flush of firelight looked pleasant and hospitable, and on the threshold were standing Lord Chelford and my old friend Mark Wilder. A faint perfume of the mildest cheroo declared how they had been employed. So I jumped to the ground, and was greeted very kindly by the smokers. I'm here, you know, in loco parentis. My mother and I keep watch and ward. We allow Wilder, you see, to come every day to his devotions, but you are not to go to the Brandon Arms. You got my note, didn't you? I had, and had come direct to the hall in consequence. I looked over the door. Yes, my memory had served me right. There was the Brandon arms, and the Brandon quartered with the wilder, but the wilder coat in the center, with the grinning griffins for supporters, and flaunting scrolls all round, and the ominous word, resurgum, underneath, proclaimed itself sadly and vauntingly over the great entrance. I often wonder how the wilder coat came in the center. Who built the old house? A Brandon, or a wilder? And if a wilder, why was it Brandon Hall? Dusty and seedy somewhat, as men are after a journey, I chatted with Mark and the noble peer for a few minutes at the door, while my valise and etceteras were lifted and hurried up the stairs to my room, whither I followed them. While I was at my toilet, in came Mark Wilder, laughing, as was his wont, and very unceremoniously he took possession of my easy chair, and threw his leg over the arm of it. I'm glad you're come, Charlie. You're always a good fellow, and I really want a hand here confoundedly. 
I think it will all do very nicely, but, of course, there's a lot of things to be arranged. Settlements, you know. And I can't make head or tail of their lingo. And a fellow don't like to sign and seal hand over head. You would not advise that, you know. And Chelford is a very good fellow, of course, and all that, but he's taking care of Dorcas, you see. And I might be left in the lurch. It is a better way, at all events, Mark, than Wilder versus trustees of Brandon Minor, said I. Well, things do turn out very oddly, don't they? said Mark with a sly glance of complacency and his hands and his pockets. But I know you'll hold the tiller till I get through. Hang me if I know the soundings or where I'm going. And you have the chart by heart, Charlie. I'm afraid you'll find me by no means so well up as this six years ago, in Wilder and Brandon. But surely you have your lawyer, Mr. Larkin, haven't you? To be sure, that's exactly it. He's Dorcas's agent. I don't know anything about him, and I do know you. Don't you see? A fellow doesn't want to put himself into the hands of a stranger altogether, especially a lawyer. <laughs> Wouldn't pay. I did not half like the equivocal office which my friend Mark had prepared for me. If family squabbles were to arise, I had no fancy to mix in with them, and I did not want a collision with Mr. Larkin either, and on the whole, notwithstanding his modesty, I thought Wilder very well able to take care of himself. There was time enough, however, to settle the point. So, by this time, being splendid in French boots and white vest, and altogether perfect and refreshed, I emerged from my dressing-room, Wilder by my side. We had to get along a dim oak-paneled passage, and into a sort of olé de bouffe with a lantern light above, from which diverged two other solemn corridors, and a short, puzzling turn or two brought us to the head of the upper stairs, for I, being a bachelor, and treated accordingly, was airily perched on the third story. To my mind, there is something indescribably satisfactory in the intense solidity of those old stairs and floors. No spring in the planks, not a creak. You walk as over strata of stone, what clumsy grandeur, what cyclopean carpenters, what a prodigality of oak. It was dark by this time, and the drawing-room, a vast and grand chamber, with no light but the fire and a pair of dim, soft lamps near the sofas and ottomans, lofty and glowing with rich tapestry curtains and pictures and mirrors and carved oak and marble, was already tenanted by the ladies. Old Lady Chelford, stiff and rich, a Van Dyke dowager, with a general effect of deep lace, funereal velvet, and pearls, and pale with dreary eyes and thin high nose, sat in a high-backed carved oak throne with red cushions. To her I was first presented, and cursorily scrutinized with a stately old-fashioned insolence, as if I were a candidate footman, and so dismissed. On a low seat, chatting to her as I came up, was a very handsome and rather singular-looking girl, fair, with a light golden-tinted hair, and a countenance, though then grave enough, instinct with a certain promise of animation and spirit, not to be mistaken. Could this be the heroine of the pending alliance? No, I was mistaken. A third lady, at what would have been an ordinary room's length away, half reclining on an ottoman, was now approached by Wilder, who presented me to Miss Brandon. Dorcas, this is my old friend Charles de Cresseron. You have often heard me speak of him, and I want you to shake hands and make his acquaintance, and draw him out. Do you see, for he is a shy youth, and must be encouraged. He gave me a cheerful slap on the shoulder, as he uttered this agreeable bit of banter, and altogether disconcerted me confoundedly. Wilder's dress coat was always smelt of tobacco, and his talk of tar. I was quietly incensed and disgusted, for in those days I was a little shy. The lady rose in a soft, floating way, tall, black-haired, but a blackness with a dull, rich shadow through it. I had only a general impression of large, dusky eyes and very exquisite features, more delicate than the Grecian models, and with a wonderful transparency, like tinted marble, and a superb haughtiness, quite unaffected. She held forth her hand, which I did little more than touch, 
there was a peculiarity in her greeting which i felt a little overawing without exactly discovering in what it consisted and it was i think that she did not smile she never took that trouble for form's sake like other women so as wilder had set a chair for me i could not avoid sitting upon it though i should much have preferred standing after the manner of men and retaining my liberty End of chapter two